you have to be your biggest fan. And when things are really tough and they're really rough and nothing's working, but there's something inside of you that says, no, just have to follow that because you don't know who you're going to meet. Podcasting from the Bluegrass State in the city of Frankfurt, you are now tuned in to Conversations with the Dean. Welcome, Conversations with the Dean, a place where every conversation tells a different story, roundtable discussions, and conversations with insight from voices within our community. So please make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all streaming platforms. And I'm your host, the Dean. Joining me today to discuss career, health, and well-being, the former commissioner of the Department of Community-Based Services and current Senior Policy Advisor for the Kentucky State Senate, a father, a husband, and someone who I hold in high regard, Mr. Eric Clark. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. We can go a lot of different ways with this opening right here, but I think what I want to do is I want to tell kind of the backstory of how I met Mr. Clark. Um, it, it was kind of funny because I had known your mother from when I first started working in state government. And when I had the opportunity to work with you, I was kind of like, you know me, uh, your, your mom knows me. And you're like, no, I don't know who you are. Let me check with my mom and see what's going on with this. <laughs> right. I hadn't connected the dots at all. <laughs> but um, with that um, valuable experience I learned in regards to not just um, career, but a lot of life's lessons in regards to working with you for a short period of time. Um, so if I hadn't said it before, let me say it now. Thank you. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure and what a special time to be together that we were able to, to do some really good work. So every conversation, I start off with a random question. Okay. Let's have it. You, you should easily know what my question for you is going to be Biggie or Tupac. Oh, you, we've had this discussion. So I'm an I'm an East Coast guy. It's going to be Biggie all the way. You going yeah. Biggie? Now I got respect for them both. Right. Don't get me wrong. But if I had to choose one, and notice I didn't really hesitate. I knew exactly. I'm going to go with Biggie Small. So so why would you take Biggie over Pop? I just I, I liked his style better. Um, I you know I liked his honestly I liked his beats better, mm. I, and I liked his. Uh, you know, his lyrics were just better for me, yeah. the way they flowed and, you know, more of a, uh, that just that New York style. I always kind of leaned toward that in hip-hop and what I liked to listen to. Right. Now, I know that Pac is dear to a lot of people's hearts in hip-hop, but I think you hit the nail on the head. Lyric-wise, Biggie was the better MC. Right. He showed a lot of versatility. I mean, you know, he had, obviously he was Biggie, and uh, but he was rapping with Bone Thugs and Harmony and, and going fast like that. <laughs> I mean, and not that Pac couldn't do that. Again, I have all, nothing but respect there, but uh, just, yeah, a lot of respect for Biggie Smalls. Right. I was, I, and another thing, uh, this may be TMI, but I was more upset the day Biggie passed. Mm. I mean, that hit me hard. Right. Like, oh my gosh, I can't I just listen to him in my truck, you right. know? Uh, obviously, I was upset when the, the day Pac passed too, but it was just that whole situation was really unfortunate. Right. Yeah. So now you are currently residing in Jefferson County, but originally from Frankfurt. Born and raised. Um, tell me a little bit about growing up in Franklin County. Well, so uh, 
it, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with my youngest daughter not too long ago, uh, my wife and I did, uh, about growing up in the time we did. Not necessarily where we did, but the time we did. So growing up in Frankfurt in, you know, I, the prime of my childhood, I'll, I'll consider the 80s. Mm-hmm. So being in Frankfurt in the 80s uh, was a really good time. Uh, you know, we opened up with music. Uh, music was, in my opinion, really good then. I mean, look at the, the start of hip-hop even. Right. And you had coming out with the Beastie Boys and Eric B and all this different stuff coming out. Uh, so listening to that stuff, and it was just a different world then, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, growing up, you get on, you wake up, you have breakfast, you may watch a cartoon or two, uh, get a little older, you get on your bike, and you're running around the neighborhood that's, all day, that's right. even the, the neighborhood over, right. and, and you had friends over there, and depending on what season it was, in the summer, you're playing wiffle ball, uh, the, the fall, you're playing nerf neighborhood football with kids, uh, you're playing basketball in the spring and summer, and just hide and go seek at night, and just the things that I look at the world today, that kids, I don't think they get to experience that mm. type of stuff but I had a, a, a fabulous time growing up in Frankfurt um, uh, personally I had a great family you know my mom and dad my brother uh, great friends around the neighborhood and just uh, growing up with the kids that I went to school with is just uh, really blessed I, I, you, and you brought up sports I know a lot of people probably wouldn't know that you was a pretty good baseball player um, growing up <laughs> and through high school uh, well, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I did play baseball, uh, played basketball some, uh, ran cross country. Well, I ran a lot. Uh, I wish I'd have taken cross country probably more seriously. I, naturally, that was probably what came best to me. But I just did that for conditioning for other sports right. and dismissed it in a big way. But I was probably most competitive at that. Um, but I just didn't stick with it. And again, looking back on it. But yeah, I did. I played baseball uh, and played some basketball and I guess my, my claim to fame and my baseball career was I threw a no-hitter. Uh, right. Played for Franklin County and threw a no-hitter against an in-town rival, Frankfurt High School. Right. So I uh, got the news clip if anybody wants proof. <laughs> right. <laughs> so was, was sports something that you kind of wanted to pursue um, when you were younger, after high school? Were you one of those you wanted to play college? Or was it more so, hey, man, I just do, do this stuff because I like to do it? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I did it because I like to do it, obviously. Um, I was interested in seeing if perhaps I could, like, play some college baseball um, and, and kind of pursued that. And that's ultimately how I ended up at Kentucky State. Uh, I think there was going to be a be- best opportunity if I was going to do something athletically to, to walk on or, you know, something to work out with the baseball team there. But um, – the career paths shifted pretty quick once mm-hmm. I decided to go to K-State. And I declared a major in political science right off the bat my first semester of college. And that's a whole story in of itself. Uh, but, yeah, sports was something I was interested in. Uh, but other things took off. Right. So let's talk about your career a little bit. You just brought up that you attended um, Kentucky State. Um, graduated with a BS in political science and also a master's degree in public administration. Correct. Um, let's go back a little bit and say, tell me how would you describe your initial transition from college into the professional arena? Well, 
so both of those were going on for me at the same time. Mm. Um, and, and this is, you know, something that I'm very proud of. I'm, I'm very proud of to be an alum of Kentucky State University. I'm very proud of that education I received there. When I talk about K-State uh, and my education there, I, I didn't only get an education. I, it, that was an experience. That was a full package because when I knew going into college that I wanted to be a political science major. Um, so I declared first semester. And I guess uh, that was kind of unheard of uh, for political science professors. Really? I, I guess. I mean, I, I'm making an assumption here because <laughs> this is how it worked out. Uh, my first uh, semester of college, the fall of 1995, I took a political science 101 course called American Government. And the professor came in uh, first day of class, uh, called roll, got to me. I've never met this guy. He never met me. Gets to Clark. Clark, raise my hand. Clark. Uh, he says, I want to see you after class. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so after class, I went up to him and he says, I see that you're a political science major. I said, yes, I want to study political science. I'm from Frankfurt. The business in town is state government. Right. I'm interested in, you know, a career in, in public service, and, you know, this would be a good fit for me. He said, well, that's great. Good to hear. Uh, I see that you might be interested in playing baseball. And I said, yeah, I've looked into that. And he said, well, are you going to the major leagues? Well, no, I'm not that kind of baseball player. I'm not going to be going to the major leagues. He said, well, if you're interested in giving up the baseball opportunity, I might have a path forward for you to interstate government. Mm. And the rest is history from there. Um, he had uh, kind of a connection with the legislative branch of government with someone who worked in the mailroom. Okay. And so here I am, a first, semest first semester freshman, political science major at Kentucky State University, and getting a job in the mailroom, basically, for the legislative branch of government. So I was a full-time state government employee and a full-time student undergrad uh, right out of high school. And really? so, you know, when you talk about a career path, my education and career took off at the same time. Uh, and, and talking about Frankfurt, what other better place to study that and for that to take off than, than Frankfurt, the capital city. So right. it was a great place for me to study government, see it in action. Obviously, when you... Um, in the mailroom, you get around, you, you get to know people, you yeah. develop relationships, and one thing led to another, and um, it, it's a, the rest is history. So with, with that initial um, start, we, we're going to consider that low level by all means. You, you've hit some really high spots in regards to state government as well. Kind of give me a path to the position in which you're in now. Oh, goodness. Well, it's the Lord's work. What can I say? Um, so I worked for uh, the legislative branch for about 10 years. So I worked full-time as a state government employee and went to school full-time all the way through undergrad, got my political science degree, and then even through grad school. So I, I was carrying a load there. Mm. Um, and obviously I didn't stick as a courier in the mailroom, if you will, uh, while I was at LRC, I started getting some opportunities to advance there, um, you know, because I always shared my ambition with people that I knew I, I'm a political science major. I'm interested in government work. I'm, I'm interested in 
career opportunities and advancement. And people, they hung on to that. They noticed that. And um, I was able to become a, a proofreader. I used to read statutes and bills and really? stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so I learned how to do technical writing mm. and uh, read policy, uh, if you will, and kind of picked up that niche. Uh, then I started developing, uh, there was an opportunity presented to me for me to work for the health and welfare committee at the legislative research commission where, and that's where I started getting kind of my health and welfare background, if you will, uh, everything within the cabinet for health and family services in terms of policy, legislation, regulation goes through that committee. So for about, I worked for that committee for about five years. So for five years, I was entrenched in the policy work of that, that cabinet and the lawmakers who were interested in it. So I developed, um, you know, a deep understanding of that. Um, I eventually was presented with an opportunity to go work for the Kentucky Board of Dentistry as an executive director. And I would say that was probably the first position uh, that was provided to me or, yeah, opportunity presented to me where I could lead an agency. Mm. And um, I stepped in there and led that agency for a couple of years. Uh, stepped out of state government for a while and lobbied for a while, uh, and then um, stepped back into state government with when Governor Bevin was elected and went into the cabinet and did several things. And uh, then when he lost his election, uh, you know, and when you work in government and politics, uh, <laughs> elections have consequences, and you know that when you're a, a commissioner or a high-level uh, professional in a government position and there's going to be an administration change you're likely not to survive that unfortunately unfortunately but it's just the reality of it and you know that going into it you'd be naive if you didn't know that right um, and so you know you figure out what's the next steps for me and I was fortunate enough to be provided with this wonderful opportunity with the state senate to come back kind of where I started uh, with the state senate back in the legislative branch uh, doing back to doing policy work and being as helpful as I can. It's funny how life comes full circle sometimes, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, so l let me ask you, in, in that trip, in that journey, what's the one thing you wish you would have known when you started this career? Good one. <laughs> uh, I wish I would have known the the it took me uh, a while to, to really understand the impact government has on people. And, and, and I say that in a way to emphasize people. Government affects everybody. Mm. And I, I mean that by the masses, like how much government is involved in people's lives on a daily basis and don't even recognize it. Uh, and I think that starting out in public service, it, it, it takes a while to understand the how the decisions that are being made and the initiatives that are being developed, at, it's hard to, to grasp the extent of how that's going to impact individuals, but the masses as well. It's hard to get your head around sometimes when you stop and ponder it. Uh, so I having that moment of clarity at a younger age, I think would have been helpful mm. uh, to, to, to see how big uh, and impactful government can be. It's empowering, it's satisfying, but at the same time, it, it can be terrifying mm. because you're, you're, 
you're in it to help people, right? How, how can we look at this complex issue and figure out a solution or a way to improve it, which right. is good and, and you're helping people buy it. But you know, the, the stakes are high and man, if you don't get that right, um, obviously you can come back and fix it and tweak it, but the, the consequences of some of these decisions that are made and a lot of them are out of your control. Right. I mean, none of this is based on one person, you know, it's, it's the collective will of the people, but, um, it, that, it, that can terrify you too. Um, so it, it, it's rewarding, but it's, it's sobering at the same time. Right. I know you did, um, a lot of great things, especially, I think you were working with then Governor Matt Bevin on House Bill 1. You was a part of that. Um, a lot of good things you did while you were in the commissioner's office. Tell me some things that you're proud of in regards to things that have been enacted from your previous positions. Well, I'm, I'm probably more proud of uh, just the overall work that the department did. It wasn't me. Um, it was just the team, and, and I, when I say team, it was other individuals and other departments in the cabinet uh, because DCBS is so big, you collaborate with, I mean, you're collaborating with public health and behavioral health and all these other agencies, uh, aging even. Um, so it was just seeing those people uh, come together and push something forward. I, I think probably the biggest thing uh, in DC, when I was in DCBS and I'm proud of is our, our, the child welfare transformation work, which also included the Family First Prevention Services Act, which was a, I'm getting kind of in the weeds here, but that was a big uh, act of Congress that was, was, it is radically changing child welfare across the nation. And we decided as a department, we were going to be a nation leader in that. So it wasn't, just all the good work we did with House Bill 1 and the child welfare transformation, it was taking that and leveraging this federal law to be a nation leader mm. to where national consultants were looking at Kentucky and we were elevating our work on a grand scale. Yes. Uh, that's probably what I'm most proud of, of, of stepping out of the comfort zone and, and people thinking you're nuts for taking something so big on, but not being scared and not backing down and saying, why, why wouldn't we do this? Right. So let me ask you a lot of, a lot of kids, um, kind of shun state government, you know, whether it be a myriad of reasons, pay this, that, what advice would you give to someone that has, um, on that line and saying, well, I don't know if I want to go state government or if I want to do something in the private sector, what advice would you give someone in regards to starting their career in state government? Well, I would just say it's a heart check. You know, what are you about? You have to do a little soul searching and figure out what do you want out of life? Do you want, you know, do you want to pull the, pursue the corporate world and make all kinds of money and, you know, or are you in it to, do you want to help people? And not that you can't do that. By no means, I'm not saying that, that you can't do that in the corporate world. But, I mean, public service is, you know, take DCBS and social workers and people going out in the field across the state and knocking on doors and mm -hmm. going into homes to help families in crisis or take the family support side of DCBS. And you're helping people get the benefits they need because they're struggling. They just lost a job or they're going, you know, dealing with some poverty and they need food assistance or they're trying to, to go to work and they need child care assistance. I mean, there's, there's all these things where it's just, what do you want out of life? And it's a, it's a, it's a heart check. It's mm. a self-examination of what, 
what are you about? Right. And to me, it's about helping people as much as I can. I mean, whatever I'm involved with, whether it's coaching my girls' basketball teams way back in the day, or if it's being in the cabinet in the secretary's office or here in the center, whatever, I, at the end of the day, I hope that I have impacted a life for the better, right. whether it be someone who's impacted by the decisions that are being made in your professional capacity or even those that you work with on a day-to-day basis. How can you be a light to people to just make everybody better because you're a part of it? Right. You know, and that can definitely happen in the in the corporate world, but it can also happen in the, in the public sector world. So it's, it's all about just figuring out what you're calling, what do you want to get out of life and, and pursuing it. Right. And 20 plus years, um, a career that has spanned multiple job titles, um, a lot of travel. Um, what gets Eric Clark up in the morning and says, hey, I want to go out here and get this. What, what's that motivation? The challenges, mm. uh, the fight, the the grind. Yeah. Uh, I you know, uh, I wasn't in the military, obviously, or anything. But it's just being a warrior. It's just getting up every day and saying, you know, this the state that we're in is unacceptable. Like all this stuff going on, and I mean, I can go on and on and on about everything, and it's on the news, and everybody listening to this will know just as well, but. Like, that's what gets me going because there's a better world. There's a better place. Mm. There, there is someone out there that can be impacted in a good way. And, and today's the day that uh, somehow, some way, I'm going to be motivated to try to touch someone in a positive way. Um, that's what keeps me going. And, you know, that, that keeps you in check, right? Because yeah. it's easy to, in, in the state that we're in, to get caught in my feelings. And this is how I feel about it. And this is upset and I'm mad. And, and you know what? And because this happened, I'm going to do this. But if you use that energy and, and that mind frame, but you project it in a positive way on mm. someone else, you don't have time mm. to be mad. Mm. It's I'm trying to improve something. Here. That's right. Make the world a better place. That's right. And, and speaking of better place, um, tell me some individuals who made you better throughout your career that you would consider um, a mentor or a person of reference that puts you in a different mind state, so to speak, to help your growth and elevation? Gosh, um, I, you know, um, I've had so many. Um, I can think of uh, just coaches I had throughout the years, um, regardless of the sport. Um, I can think of some bosses I had, uh, my first, my college professor at K-State, Clark, Clark, where's Clark? You know, <laughs> Dr. Jim Graves, right. he's passed now. But, I mean, you talk about a mentor that was there for me. Um, uh, my, my late father-in-law, uh, Jim Byford, um, he, he was a great mentor for me uh, in a professional and personal way. Obviously, my, my family, every one of my family members, my brother, my mom, my dad, my, my grandfather, my grandparents, uh, but I can go on and on and on, uh, just dropping names of people I've worked with over the years who, uh, Ruby Joe Labarsky, um, Robert Jenkins, just people who poured into me and gave me an opportunity and believed in me, right? you know, and empowered me to do things. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got a long list. We'd be here for a while. <laughs> right. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. 
is Coach Malik, Capital City Cyclones. Make sure you are checking out the Cyclones podcast, streaming on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Also, www.cyclonespodcast.podbean.com. Great interviews and insights from players and coaches. Capital City Cyclones, where skill development leaders. And we are back, Conversations with the Dean, and we have Mr. Eric Clark with us. So, Mr. Clark, what are some things that you're working on to improve about yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, that That's an everyday grind, too. Mm. The fight is real, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's – I was just talking about how you try to focus on others, but in order to do that, you have to fight yourself. And I'm very transparent and vulnerable. Like, uh, I, I fight myself all the time, uh, holding back, not saying things that I want to say. Uh, not making facial expressions or rolling my eyes when I want to f- make facial expressions and roll my <laughs> eyes. Uh, it's, it's that self-control. Yeah. You know, I'd say self-control is, is uh, practi- trying to practice that, trying to find uh, the positivity in negative situations. Where's the light shining in this? Because it's there if you just look for it. And how, how can I find it? Right. You know, and it, it's just that it's just a constant self-evaluation um, that I – you know, and it that just goes the whole spectrum of who I am and what I stand for. Uh, that's an everyday battle. Um, it's hard to put into words, but I mean, I know everybody has their own battle, and uh, you know, mine is mine and yours is yours. Right. But it's it's focusing on that to be the person I want to be, and am I going to be committed to it? I fail, I fail multiple times every single day. Yeah, uh, but. That's one of the things uh, you have to realize is I am going to fail and I am going to mess up and I am going to make bad decisions. But despite all that, how do I stay committed to being the best person I can possibly That's be? Right. Uh, and, and can just continue to be committed to improving even though you know you're going to fail at it. So we, we said in the beginning, a father um, of two beautiful daughters, um, a husband, beautiful wife, um, how much does family mean to you? Well, family is everything. Um, I, my, you know, my Christian faith is first because my family ain't going to be right if I'm not right with the Lord. So, That's right. uh, my, my faith is first and foremost in my life. Um, and because of that, my family is right there with it. Uh, I'm fortunate enough. I married my high school sweetheart mm-hmm. Uh, and she's from Frankfurt too. Okay, Holly Byford. She's Holly Clark now, of course. But uh, we, you know, what what a blessing that I, in the situation where I married a girl that I've woman now that I've been with since like my junior year of high school. Yes. We we made it through college together. We've been through uh, career changes together. We've obviously left Frankfurt and live in Louisville now. We've moved together. Uh, we, we have two beautiful daughters, as you just mentioned. I'm proud of my, my oldest, my youngest daughter, Ashlyn and Alexa. They're both in high school. i got two high schoolers now. Uh, and, the, and the young women, they're becoming. And, uh, you know, but family is that, – so that's my, my leave and cleave family unit. Uh, but I, also I, I love my, my mom and dad, and I love my brother. I, I love, you know, my, my mother-in-law. And um, 
so yeah, family's everything. It's my go-to. Um, you saw me in DCVS, you yeah. know, that, that's what I, I, I wanted to go home to my family. I wasn't one that liked to travel all the time. I would if I needed to, but at the end of the day, it was important for me to go home, look at my wife and my kids, um, and tell them I love them, uh, be able to give them a hug, ask them how their day was. That's right. That's so right. It, yeah, family's everything for sure. So we, we said your mom, your dad, your brother, your wife, your children. What are you trying to show them in regards to the man that you are every day? What example are you trying to set for them? Um, so I, I've told my wife this. Uh, the, the most, uh, the, the world to me would be for someone who was near and dear to me in my life um, would stand up at my funeral and say, this was a man who loved the Lord. Mm. And that's what I want my family to know, that uh, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am going to, I'm going to be a strong man of faith. I'm going to be principled in it. I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. Uh, again, I'm a sinner. I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to make bad decisions. That's I'm going right. to say things I shouldn't. But at the end of the day, uh, that's where I'm rooted. And hopefully the bad decisions or whatever, you know, things that happen doesn't, overshadow that foundation that I want to lay with them that stood up for what I believed in. This is what I believe. Everybody knew what I believed in and I worked hard for it. Uh, and I was willing to fight for it for whatever it took, you know, saying the hard things, being, going against the grain, mm. uh, being, being a loner in a meeting and, and standing your ground, not stubborn, but you know, people, you can disagree with people, uh, but you don't have to be disagreeable. That's right. You still have a seat at the table yeah. and you're not burning bridges. I'm kind of getting off your question there, but just that I was principled when I believed in and I was willing to, to stand firm in it. Right. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, the last person I asked this, I kind of threw him off, but tell me a dream of yours that you've never said out loud. How about something that you wanted to do a dream that you well, okay. was chasing, but no one knows about, or no one okay. has ever known about. Okay, uh, that I okay. Here, here's a dream. Uh, actually, people, if they hear this, they won't be surprised by it. But I don't know <laughs> if I've ever said it out loud. Uh, I dream to be a four-star, five-star chef. I would believe that. <laughs> I, I would believe that. I got a foodie inside me. Oh, yes, so, yeah. yes, yes. Now, now, outside of, um, I, I know your preference for certain restaurants, but are you um, a cook at home, or do you have culinary skills? <laughs> Not really. I'm okay on the grill. Um, so, yeah, so maybe I need to rephrase that. Not necessarily be the chef that does it, but to be like a like a chopped judge on the food network okay. or be a food critic, critic where, where yes. I have people cook for me and then I can just tell them what I think about right. it all day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You would probably be a very <laughs> tough food critic. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you this. And a lot of things that are going on in our nation right now. So if somebody tells me that they have the same mind state prior to March of 2000, that they do right now, I'm not, I'm going to find that hard to believe. Um, tell me something that you've changed your mind about recently. 
Well, I've changed my mind about uh, how important public health is, mm. and that, that's coming from someone who worked in the cabinet mm. with public health. I mean, you, you talk about uh, just because pu- public health, the way I'm using it, is population health. Right. And it, it's it's the masses. And uh, just thinking through that and how uh, I would have never my wildest dreams this time last year would have appreciated or have to acknowledge the way we have to respond in a global pandemic. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that, that uh, honestly, with the social unrest and everything, I, I, this one could be a little uh, controversial perhaps, but I've had to reevaluate what I think about the Second Amendment, the mm. right to bear arms. Mm. I've never been one to uh, be that way, but man, when you start seeing a 400% increase of carjackings in Jefferson County and it happens in your own neighborhood that someone, a lady, is carjacked at gunpoint in her own driveway, right? you have to reevaluate, like, am I able to protect my family if something goes down here right now? Like, you know, and so I've had to reevaluate just thinking about violence even and how that could impact me and my family directly. And that, that's not a good place to be in. So I I've, yeah, I've had to rethink a lot of different things. I never would have thought that would, who, who would have thought that I have to ever think about that. Right. But here I am, you know, I think when you look at it, it's, um, Everything we used to see on TV, but now it's happening right around the corner from where we live at. Right. And that puts you in a whole different mind state. It sure does. Right? It sure does. Um, let's, let's talk about success a little bit. Every time I ask this question, I hope that I get, if I interview a thousand people, I hope I get a thousand different answers. Um, how do you define success? Success to me is the number of lives positively impacted. Mm. Success to me is not how much money I make. It's not the biggest house. It's not the fanciest cars. Uh, don't get me wrong. I do like a nice suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do like a good set of kicks. Yeah. Uh, we all have our thing. But that to me, that's not success. Success to me is seeing individuals who are better people and who have experience success themselves because of something you were a part of mm. directly or even indirectly. Right. Uh, I can, I can talk about just the people I've worked with over the years. Uh, I can talk about uh, the, the foster youth, hopefully the foster youth that I interacted with when I was in DCBS in some way are better because of it. Uh, that, that to me, that's success. And it goes back to that public servicing and that, what are you about? What do you want out of life? That's right. And uh, to me, that's where it's at. Right. We, we talked about, you know, the changing landscape in regards to um, what's going on in our nation. Um, tell me something you're curious about right now. What, what has your mind? I'm curious as to how this will impact my children, mm-hmm. basically the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what we do now is going to impact that next generation. Yes. How, how will how will this be written in history? When we look back at this right now, it, 10 years from now, five years from now, whatever, 
what what's it what's the narrative we have the narrative today but this today's narrative is not final it's still being developed that's right and we've got an election we've got social unrest we've got uh this global pandemic what 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 is the takeaway from this and when are we going to realize it i'm curious about these things i think um when you look at just everything that's going on it, it's always been easy for me to read about it to go back in history and read about this happening and this happening this is really the first time on a major scale that you know we're living through it from my perspective you know global pandemic social unrest presidential election all going on at one time you know this is it's, it's a serious time you know and if anybody says any different, you know, I'm going to have to disagree. <laughs> oh, there's no question. And um, there's going to be a lot to learn from this. Uh, I don't, we're learning. Yes. We're in the process of learning, but we we have not learned yet. Right. Uh, but we will. And I'm curious what that narrative is. So we, we've talked about a lot of the, the positives in regards to your career, your personal life. Um, we got to do a balance. Tell me, tell me what you feel like your biggest failure has been in regards to career, personal, however. Well, um, it, it's hard to say because the way I, I live my life is, and, and this is cliche, but the no regrets, mm -hmm. right? The, 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 my failures, my mistakes, the bad decisions, all those things have contributed to who I am today. You, I've learned from them. Um, and I still am learning. Uh, so I, it's hard for me to, to really say, I guess, you know, if I could, my failures is to, you know, if I could look at a younger Eric, I would say, don't, don't be such a hothead, <laughs> you know, uh, it's that self-control stuff, mm -hmm. you know, be more self-controlled. Um, I've always had faith. I was raised, I've shared my Christian faith. I was raised in a Christian home, come from a Christian family, and I'm blessed with that. So I've always had that foundation. Uh, I regret that I didn't practice it mm. uh, until later on in my life. I had it, but I didn't use it. And, man, what a blessing it, it, it's been when I did use it because uh, when, I, when it finally came around, I was, I was really broken, you know, personally just uh, going through it with my family and, you know, things weren't working out but there there's healing and restoration and I found that and I am so grateful for it but I wouldn't be who I am today right if that's I right. didn't have that heartache that's right and that stuff so um, it's hard for me to say one thing but there's a bunch of them and I obviously that they, they were mistakes and I acknowledge them but I, I can't say I necessarily regret them or look at them as complete failures because if you use that as the right way you learn from them and it becomes experience that's right so when you when you were going to through those hard times or those difficult times um of course i know your faith carried you when you when you're in that middle ground you can go either way it can be a negative reaction or it can be a positive reaction what else kept you from saying i'm i'm i ain't doing that i'm not doing this i got to i'm gonna be negative about it well i think that's probably why i got to the place i was because i was saying i'm not going to do mm. this and i'm being negative mm. about it and it it got to the point where you know and it's kind of like what 
I see in a big way right now with a lot of the unrest in our nation is everybody is looking at everybody else and talking about how mad I am that this is going on. But it got to the point where for me it became more personal and I, and I had to kind of, you know, shake my head and, and come to myself and say, wait a minute, the, the problem here is me. Mm. Mm. And I, you know, if I, before I, I got to get myself together, I need to reevaluate my life and how I'm looking at things. And, uh, that's how it changed for me. It was, it became, instead of, uh, I'm, I'm the victim. Uh, you did this to me. You make me feel this way. Uh, it's like, no, um, I can, I don't have to feel that way and I can examine myself and I don't have to be this way anymore. That's right. I think the hardest thing for me in regards to a growth perspective was that one day looking in the mirror and not liking what I seen. What's the saying? The saying goes, uh, when the pain of change hurts more than the pain of staying the same, then you will change. That's right. And, you know, I can look at people, uh, throughout my life and, and everybody has a different level of that. What, what some people never reach it. Right. Uh, some people it's far worse than whatever I went through. Right. But we all have wherever that is, that brokenness, mm. uh, what, what is brokenness to you? That's right. And what is brokenness to me could be completely different, but when you reach it, it's like what you just said, it's that moment of clarity of th this isn't working mm -hmm. out and I need to I, I start pointing the finger back at That's me right. and it's on me. That's right. You know, yeah. so, so let's, let's lighten it up a little bit. Um, give me your go-to order from your favorite restaurant. Oh, <laughs> well, you know me. It depends on what kind of restaurant because I can go Italian. I can go steakhouse. I can go seafood. I can go Mexican. Uh, but if I, yeah, if, if I'd walk up in a steakhouse, I'd probably get a bone-in ribeye or a strip steak, uh, I've gotten to where I, I'm kind of out of the baked potato mode. Really? I, yeah. I, I've That's gotten, surprising. Yeah. I mean, I believe, no, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I, maybe some French fries or something. Really? Yeah. And, or onion rings, even good salad. Uh, yeah, I'm a steakhouse kind of guy. Well, now that, that I do know. Um, but I figured you was always steak and potatoes. You know, that was going to be your go-to period, oh, yeah. steak and potatoes. Now, when you say you're a steakhouse kind of guy, give me, um, if you've traveled extensively, if not, give me something locally, but give me the best steakhouse that you've eaten from. Morton's. Morton's, really? Morton's Steakhouse. Out of everywhere you've been in, in this nation, Morton's. Morton's. Yeah, really? and there's one in Louisville. Right. Uh, they have them around the nation. Um, I th it originated in Chicago. I've been to the one in Chicago. I've been to Cincinnati and Louisville, obviously, but yeah. Um, Jeff Ruby's has a good steak too. Mm. I mean, I you know, it's, I I don't dismiss what's here in Kentucky. That, you <laughs> know, Louisville's right. kind of known to being around the nation of being a foodie city. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So uh, there, there's good food here okay. for sure. So now, would you say that um, steak restaurants is going to take preference over Italian, Mexican, whatever? At the end of the day. Uh, it, when it's all said and done, you can't go wrong there. But different days, obviously, you have different mood. I mean, I, I'll go nachos, pizza, beer. I can go steak and wine on you. You know, whatever. Right. Now, now, are you a are you a stickler for um, conformity? Are you uniform? 
in regards to your approach in regards to eating? Will you eat the same things no. over and over? I, no, <laughs> I can, but I, I do. If I go back to different restaurants, I always try to mix it up and get different things on okay. the menu. All right, sure. So, so yeah. you are definitely someone who's not going to say, "Okay, this is my go-to." I want to try what else they have to offer. Yeah, it's going to be I'll, your speed. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Now, how how about the um, the wife and the children? Because I know a lot of times. Um, us adults would try to push our taste down to our children. And they might be like, dad, I don't really want I'm, the steak thing. I'm guilty. <laughs> <laughs> um, now they, they, so it's funny. Um, talking about steaks. Um, I was not, and I, I hope my parents listen to this. Uh, I was not raised that way. Okay. Obviously we would have steak, but a good steak in the Clark family growing up when I was a kid, I mean, you go to, Western sizzling or something. I mean, that's right. steak dinner, right? Right. Uh, well, so now it's what Ruth's Chris, mm. Morton's, Jeff Ruby's. You talk about these high-end, pricey steakhouses right. uh, that are rarities, by the way. But I've, I, my wife and I have taken our daughters to these places, and it's kind of the blessing and the curse. My children now know what a good steak is, right? And how to order it, and they'll sit there and throw it down with the best of them, you know, which kind of obviously makes me proud. But man, the other side of that is, is boy, that's expensive. Oh yeah. And then their poor, poor boyfriends are gonna have that's gonna be their expectation. It's not gonna be going to Old Charlie's, you know. It's gonna be full blown. You know, we're going to Morton's. And right. That's what I expect type that's thing. Right. So, it is what it is. It's fun. So tell me something, um, food wise, that and and I know one thing that you just detest. But tell me, <laughs> you know, but tell me something where it's like. You know, a lot of people like that you may be like, man, I, I just can't get down with that. You talking about food-wise or like how people order their food? Food-wise, yeah. I can't eat cottage cheese. Really? I can't touch that. Yeah, I, I wasn't. My wife, um, bless her heart, she's been patient in regards to my food taste. But she put me down on that, the cottage cheese, because I always would look at it and be like, I can't do that. I, no. So cottage cheese is going to be your bottom feeder, right? Yeah, can't do it. What where the that where does that um, stand versus Viennese sausage? Uh, oh, <laughs> I didn't even think. Uh, <laughs> see, so but th- there was Vienna sausages in our cabinets growing up. So, right. and I I could eat it back in the day. Okay. Of course, I haven't had one in years. Okay, um, so I it'd be above cottage cheese. Vienna sausages. Yeah, right. because we had cottage cheese even. My mom would eat it all the time, and I'd try it. I just can't do it. Right. right. So at least I could get the Vienna sausage right. down. I can't even get cottage, cottage cheese, cheese down. <laughs> ain't happening. So so let me ask you this. 18-year-old Eric Clark, talk to him right now. You've got something inside you that will drive you uh, to go different places. Don't let yourself get in the way of it. Mm. That's powerful. That's powerful. Let me let me tell you, um, Mr. Clark, it has been an honor for you to sit down with me. I, I knew this could go all over the place. I had to make sure that I got strict notes here because I said if me and him start talking about one thing, we could go anywhere. But it just comes from, one, my respect from you, and two, for the comfortability that you um, 
you put people at when they're in your presence. So I want to thank you for that. And again, thank you for sitting down with me. Last words for family and friends. Look for the light. It's out there. There, Even in all this going on, uh, there's good out there. Mm. There's hope. There is uh, healing. There is... uh, there is a better world if we can just get beyond ourselves and focus our energy and our efforts on being kind and good to one another and being committed to having tough conversations in a way that we're willing to listen, to be intentional about purposely not being offended if someone says we didn't like, but try to understand it where we can continue to be at the table and, and, and find that better world. That's right. That's right. I would like to thank Mr. Clark for sitting down for the conversation. For everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. And don't forget, subscribe, review, and leave a comment. And remember, while no single conversation is guaranteed to change the direction of a career, a business, a relationship, or a life, any conversation can.